0: Good to have uh, new folks here this morning. Glad you could join us. Uh, we just started uh, a series on the book of Titus, and we're gonna go verse by verse over the, next, uh, over the next few weeks. We're gonna intersperse with some of the preaching on Hebrews, and we'll do Titus, and I know Eric will be preaching on a couple of subjects as well. So hopefully um, you'll get a lot out of this book. It's a tremendous book. And um, just to kind of catch you up here, Paul wrote this personal letter to Titus. And Paul and Titus had worked closely together in his missionary trips. And um, Paul's kind of an interesting person. I mean, really interesting. When you look at his background, as we see in Titus 1, we went over that a couple weeks ago. You know, he was a bondservant of Christ. He was selected. He was was an apostle of Christ. And it's interesting, during breaking of bread this morning, we were talking about being slaves, right? Well, that's the whole thing about bondservant, you know, you're a slave. You know, before Paul met Christ, Paul was a sinner. He was a slave to sin. He was not only a slave to sin, but he was a slave to the devil. Now, if you know Paul's history, before Paul came to know the Lord, he was out persecuting all the Christians. He was putting Christians into prison. He even cast his lots to have them put to death. That's the kind of person Paul was. But he met the Lord. And now he would meet the Lord in a very special way. He would, the Lord challenged him and said, Paul, you know, why do you kick against the goats? Why do you persecute me, Paul? I mean, that's really challenging, isn't it? And what a message, I mean, if the Lord came to you and just came up alongside of you right now, if you didn't know the Lord, and he said, why are you persecuting me? How would you feel? I mean, all those thoughts that you have about the Lord, you know, maybe those thoughts like, "Ah, you're really not the Lord, you're really not the Christ, you're not the Messiah, you're not the one who saved me. But all of a sudden, these thoughts would go through your mind. Here, the Savior is right next to you, and he challenges you, why do you persecute me? But then Paul gets saved. Now he becomes a bond slave to Christ. And I want you to keep that in mind. He becomes a slave to Christ. no longer a slave to the passions of his flesh, but he becomes a slave to Christ, sold out to Jesus to be Christ-like, to follow Christ the rest of his life. And of course, as you read about Paul in the Scriptures, you can see he was faithful unto the Lord till his death. He was faithful. And that's what it's like when you're not a Christian. You're a slave to sin. You're not one of the lords. You belong to Satan. But then when you meet Christ and you become a child of God, then now you become a bond servant to Jesus Christ. New relationship. A total new relationship. So here we have Paul. He writes his personal letter to Titus. And... Um, Titus, at this particular point in time, he was in in an island called Crete. And Crete is an island in the Mediterranean just south of of Greece, it's about 150 miles long, and at the widest point, it's about 35 miles wide. And there were cities spread throughout Crete, and Titus was going to be charged to bring things in order. He was gonna bring things that were lacking into the church and straighten things out. Let's take a look at today's verses in Titus 1, 5 through 9. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not a of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless, as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, not hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast, The faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So we see in these verses today, the message is around being Christ's church. So we're going to take a look at this section about being Christ's church today. Now if a church is going to be a church, leaders are gonna have to be established. And I'll give you a classic example. Uh, Kathy, I've got a I've got a lunch appointment. I'll see you in a couple hours. Now, what are you thinking if I had done that? Yeah, you'd feel abandoned. There's no leadership. And Don would be giving me a phone, what are you doing? (laughs) Right? And Johnny, I've been around here a long time, you wonder, what's happened here? What's happened to Howard? He's gone crazy. (laughs) Well, the church needs a leader. Leaders are required in the church. Not just a single leader, but multiple leaders. The plurality of leaders in the church is very important. Now, and it makes sense. Now, We've heard a lot about uh, the presidential campaigns, haven't we, over the last few weeks? I mean, you're just inundated with it, day in, day out. And I'm pretty glued to some of this stuff because I want to see what's going on. But um, it's really apparent when you start looking at this thing, you start thinking, where's the leadership? (laughs) You know, you wonder, wow, what's going on, right? Well, you know that can happen in the church as well, if you don't have good leaders, or if you don't have any leaders, it kind of does what it wants to do, you know, it's kind of freewheeling, um, and, I, and I know what it's like, there's, a, there's a, a big, huge building up where we live in Fairview, and it's, I'm not going to give you any names, but anyway, there's this big meeting, meeting that takes place there every Sunday, and I couldn't figure out what this is all about, so one day... When I saw some people there, I walked over there and talked to the people. They said, well, we're this particular this group, you know, and they profess to be believers and so on and so forth. And I said, well, who's the leadership? Well, we don't have any. We just come together and we do things. Uh, what do you do about message? Oh, well, we just come and we speak. Oh, really? <laughs> I've never heard anything like that in my life. That would be kind of like uh, Bank of America or Wells Fargo suddenly says, hey, you know, we don't need a CEO anymore we don't need a CFO what would that organization be like without proper leadership it'd be chaotic and of course the stockholders would be a little upset about that I'm sure it'd be a disaster it'd be total chaos so if a church is going to be a church leaders have to be established and that's what Paul is talking about here in these verses For this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Well, what Paul essentially done now is says, Titus, you have a new role now. You are my recruiter. I want you to recruit leaders and I want you to set them up in several cities well, you kind of scratch your head and... Um, how many in here are in the business world, work in the business world? Okay, have any of you heard about a, call it a job description? Have you ever had to work with a human resources department? There's an opening in your company and they need to fill it. And of course, you call them up and say, hey, I need a person to get in here. Uh, well, Howard, can you come and sit down with us? We need you to fill out a job description. Well, fortunately, Paul lays out very clearly in the scriptures the job description of what this leader should be, this elder bishop should be in the church. So for Titus to be successful, Paul laid out a job description for the role of an overseer, an elder in the church. Titus was given two charges here in this verse, as you see. He was to set up and and make sure the church is in order. And, of course, that was going to take leadership. Leadership was going to be required. And also to fill a gap. There was a gap. Now, we're going to see as we go through the book of Titus, there's lots of little gaps that are going on in the church. So we're just getting started here. So, yeah, when you find that there's gaps, there's something missing. Um, I kind of went through this uh, recently when I was at Safeway slash Albertsons. Yeah, you know, we were doing a merger, merger with Albertsons and the Safeway. And of course, Albertsons kind of does things totally different way, Gary. Gary's got a big smile on his face. They do things a little different, and so what's kind of interesting, they said, hey, uh, guess what, we're gonna have Albertsons all come over to our, the systems that Safeway support. And of course, because they do things differently, and Safeway does things differently, we went through a process, and I'm 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 glad I'm retired now, because thinking about this, I went, you know, I got sweats thinking about it all over again, Gary. Yeah, it's called, a, it's called a gap analysis. <laughs> Anybody heard about a gap analysis in business? Where you go through and you find out where the gaps are? Find out where you have opportunities? Uh, find out where you have to eliminate the gap? Uh, in some cases, in my experience uh, while I was at Safeway and Albertsons is, you found the gap, but they had no, they didn't want to resolve it for some reason. <laughs> right, Gary? And there's still lots of gaps going on. So anyway, um, Titus was charged to go to there in Crete and and figure out what's going on. What what are the gaps there? And he was going to assess what the spiritual vitality and health of the church was in Crete. And he was going to work with leadership to fix it, to make it what it should be. It's God's church, God's people, and they were gonna fix it. Well, the first order of business, as we see, was to establish leaders of the church, very important, because leaders will at least start to provide some direction. Now, when you find someone where you have a job opening and you look for someone to fill the position, uh, you just don't go to human resources and just say hey hire me a person I'm gonna pay him you know hundred fifty thousand a year and they're gonna be a senior project manager let's say and uh, go out and get somebody bring them in here well there's not a whole lot of information there to try to find out what the qualifications are that you need for this individual I mean they could go <laughs> anywhere down the street hey, are you a project manager uh, yeah I'm a project manager oh you would you got any education? And oh yeah, I just graduated from college. You got any experience? No. Well, those are the kinds of things you look for in the job description. For instance, if I were looking for a senior project manager, I'm gonna ask the first question. Do you have five years of experience? And do you have five years of experience working with senior management, vice president on up to CEO? Or might, um, are you able, how are you able to communicate? I want to know what your communication skills are verbally and written. Do you have the ability to communicate well? I'm looking at you, Jen, oh, this is familiar. Have you seen this before? <laughs> um, are you able to act with senior management in difficult situations? Are you able to work with you know, multiple work groups And bring them together and act as a mediator between all these groups. You're able to do that. And oh, uh, can you share with me what your experience has been in the last five years? Can you show me what that is? That's what you see in a job description. I need something that I can come alongside of and measure. Okay? Now... You think in today's world that a job description is something new, just invented? But you know what? When you start, this this kind of caught my attention. You know what? God invented, invented the job description. And it reminded me how detailed the Lord is when he inspired men to write the word of God. It was detailed. And it wasn't, you know, verbose writing and just fluffy writing and on and on and on and on you know what? The Lord, specific details, one word details as to what the qualifications were. So when, jo- when uh, Paul wrote down the qualifications for the elder and or the bishop, the one who oversees in the church, he's very specific. Identified functions like a job description. It will identify the function of the job, it will identify the role and the responsibility of that particular job. And in Crete, it was evident from this letter, they desperately needed leaders. There was a young church. And they needed leaders to be successful, to do God's work. Now, what are some of the functions? As if we were to look at a job description with all the various qualifications, you know, are you qualified for this position? Now, as we go through this thing, I, w- I don't want you to think about this as if, uh, yeah, this is for the elder bishop, but you know, there, there's some character and quality traits here that pertain to you as well as believers. So this isn't just for the elders and the bishops. It's for every one of us as believers in Christ. Kind of keep that in mind. I want you, the Lord, to speak to your heart, because these are great qualities. Right? It's just like uh, what do they try to do today. They try to remove the Ten Commandments from all the walls of public, you know, places. And I like the the questions that are asked about that. Well, if you look at those Ten Commandments, is there anything bad about those Ten Commandments? You know, if people really live by those Ten Commandments, would the world be different today? All of God's word is good for you. All of it. So keep that in mind as we go through this. We're going to go through the qualifications so you know, as a body of believers, what those qualifications are. And for you men here, Should you aspire to that position, this is a message to you as well. So let's take a look at some of um, the criteria in the job description for an elder. One is to rule. And we see here in 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5, and we went through this here a few weeks ago. One who rules his own house well having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Man, that's a good question, isn't it? You know, Gary, all the years I worked at Safeway, and I was a believer at Safeway for over 30 years, and I I knew specifically about the lives of some of the senior management at Safeway and their family situation, and I would shake my head, and I'd go like this. I'd bang my head against the wall. I said, how in the world are they able to take on this responsibility as a leader and their household is a disaster? Their marriage is a disaster. Their children's lives are a disaster. And how can they run the company well? And so the Lord, in his wisdom, he uses the family as, as that model if you can rule well in your household you probably can rule well over the body of believers because it is a body, it is a family of believers, isn't it? Another verse in 1 Timothy five seventeen: let the elders who rule rule well be counted worthy of a double honor especially for those who labor in the word and doctrine so there's that idea of ruling now, it's not this ruling like, uh, you know, Matt, I'm, I'm really fed up with you, you know. I'm really sick and tired of this. Now, that isn't the kind of rule we're talking about. Or, Matt, you know, I have this uh, conviction that you should be doing this, this, and this, and this. Uh, why don't you get with it? <laughs> that isn't the kind of ruling we're talking about. Okay. But there's an authority in leadership. A leader has authority, don't they? It makes sense. You know, Tom, you have leaders in your company, right? You're in authority. You know, when you really think about it, we're all in authority under somebody, okay? So it makes sense. So the leaders rule. Okay, the other thing that they do is they guard the body of revealed truth and perversion of error. Very important. Um, Over the years, over the course of years, we've been here, and I know Matt and Noad and Don and I don't see Eric and Michael and uh, every one of you in here. How many people have come into those doors and came out with this perverse thought about, let's say, salvation, how one gets saved? If somebody came in here and started preaching another gospel, do you think they would be challenged if they walked through those doors today? Well, that's one thing the leaders do. And there's some doctrines out there that are so close to Christianity. I mean, so close. Would you be able to refute? No, maybe, maybe not. But that's what the leaders do. They're here to protect you. They're here to keep the word from being perverted or error coming into the body so they guard the body reveal truth from perversion and error the other function is they oversee the, the church as a shepherd now I love this you know we just sang about the Shepherd you know 23rd Psalm um, Man, the shepherd really cares for the sheep. You know, that's a 24-7 job. Uh, Don is... Is being an elder bishop a 24-7 job? Sometimes longer, sometimes longer yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, sometimes you hope that there's a 48 hours in the day, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's a 24-7 role. That's what a shepherd does. It cares for the sheep. And... Um, we see here in, in, in Acts that therefore take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Wow, what a role of responsibility we have. That's our role. That's what an elder bishop does. They put their life on the line. That's what a shepherd does 24-7. They're there to care for the medical needs, to care for their, their hunger, to care for the sheep in every aspect. And I know, Angelo, you and I have talked about sheep, and Angelo is very familiar with raising sheep. Is it a lot of work, Angelo? What happens if you don't do it? They die. Big responsibility. And in John, I like this. This is about Peter. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And of course, Simon says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then the challenge He said to him, Tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. It's a challenge for a shepherd to tend the sheep and to be available to them 24 7. Well, I think some of us are familiar with the 24 7. Um, I know Angelo. Uh, Do you have a pager? At work? Oh you don't. How about a cell phone? Okay well Tom do you have one of those? You're you're plugged into work? And Gary? Jen do you have one of those? No? No ad do you? You have one too? Wow you're 24-7 too. Well I'm sure there's many of us in this room. Sam do you have one of those? Okay well I know I had one for years and years and years. You're plugged in 24-7. 24-7. Well, you tend the sheep when the sheep need tending. And it will be a 24-7 situation. Okay, another function is to establish new church principles and to bring about body life in the church. Very critical. And, of course, we're going to see that as we go through Titus, that that's what Titus is doing in Crete. Not only is he going to raise up leaders, but he's going to help them with the body life. And here we see in Acts 2.42, we know that when the believers were saved in the early day church, it says, then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, and the Breaking of Bread in Prayer. Now, you're all familiar with that. It sounds like our meetings, right? We have the Breaking of Bread in the morning. And we have the Teaching of God's Word for Doctrine. We have a Prayer Meeting. We... Are steadfast. We're challenged to be steadfast in these things. Now, why is this important? Well, to keep the saints fed, to tend the sheep, to grow strong in Christ, to be Christ like. That's the requirement. Now, can you imagine if all of a sudden we had 3,000 people walk through those doors? I'd say, hey, Don, we need more elders. <laughs> We need more leadership. Or the deacons, you know. 3,000 3, more walked in. No, what would you think? What are we going to do? Michael, what would you think? What are we going to do? You know. Well, I hope that happens one day. But you have to be prepared. And leadership is required. So these are the functions. To make sure that there's sound doctrine in the church. Make sure that these... Meetings of the church are executed, and the saints are actively involved in body life in each of these meetings. Well, there's another thing that's important in a job description. And uh, oftentimes, it's left out. Uh, Now, in lesser roles in a company, it might not be there, but I know in more of the management senior management roles. There's an item in the job description that says, what is the reporting responsibilities? Who do I report to? (laughs) Now I know in in my job description, I had at Safeway, I reported to a VP, several VPs, dotted lines, and um, it was kind of interesting when we merged with um, Albertsons at Safeway. We had a, a great uh, CIO, and uh, he, he was fantastic. I love working with a guy, really dynamic. Um, but when he heard what his job description, who he's going to report to, when he saw that on the job description, he says, I'm not reporting that person. And he didn't. He quit. Well, I just wanted to bring this out as to the elder bishop. Who do they report to? Well, those who lead in the church are therefore to imitate Christ in a willingness to serve tirelessly and sacrificially in their oversight of others and carrying out their calling and obedience to Christ and account, they're accountable to God. That's who we report to. Now we're accountable to all of you, but the one we're really gonna be accountable to when we leave this earth will be the Lord himself. Great responsibility, big responsibility. I think it's something that Don and I and Eric and many of us in the past, uh, elders in the past, that's one thing that's always been in the front of our minds. Isn't that right, Don? I will have to give an account. Those words, I've seen these words here in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. That's part of that verse, I've never, I've never lost that. It's always been there in my mind. I mu- I'll give an account. As a result, when you know you're gonna have to give an account to someone, is it not you're more careful of what you do? What you say? You're a lot more careful because you will give an account. Okay. Let's continue on. Now, in verses 6 through 9, Paul identifies four different types of relationships that he focuses on in this candidate for elder bishop. Now, one area is in verse 6, really deals with his family situation. What's his family like? How do I, how do I measure this individual along the family To God's Word how do I line myself up to what the Word of God says and what the situation is in the family the other is himself how does he act as an individual what's he like in verse 7 and the other is how is he with others how does he interact with others? How does he interact with the body? How does he interact with those that come into the church? How does he interact with those outside the church? How does he interact with the believers? How does he interact with the unbelievers? That's what he's, look, he's looked at. You wanna look at those qualities in, a, in an individual. And in verse nine, what is relationship to the word? For they hold fast to the word of God. And we're going to look at each one of these now in these verses. So the first one. They want to go there. So let's take a look at the family. It says, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation, Oh, um, or insubordination now these are some words that may be foreign to you now if we take a look at the word believing you know it's really talking about children who believe the word it may be believers The other thing we see here, too, that are not accused of dissipation, it's kind of an overindulgence. Overdoing things. Could be overdoing things in their talk, could be overdoing things in, in social activities, wants, desires. Having too much that really affects their lives. And then the word insubordination is nothing but unruly rebellious, and defiant. Now, if they're to be blameless, well, if we looked at the presidential conventions recently, uh, they're Democratic and the Republican Party are kind of throwing things at each other, right? And they're making acquisition, uh, uh, they're making Um, accusations about one another, and uh, of course there's one individual, there's lots of accusations um, on certain ways they've done things. So, for an elder bishop, they have to be a person where you can't accuse them of anything. You could throw anything out there, you could accuse them, but they. They'll never be proven, it'll never be proven to be true. They couldn't be accused and not called to an account. That means they live a different kind of life. They live a holy life, a Christ-like life. It's got to have a spotless character, and there can be no occasion to call the person into account. Or bring a charge against him. That's what it means to be blameless. Husband of one wife. He must be a husband of one wife, and bottom line, be a one, a man of one woman. Now, don't get me wrong here. What this means, but um, <laughs> there's an illustration, and it's classic, and and it's interesting because I read about it, and I. Saw it reaffirmed again on a, um, on a uh, Discovery Channel. Um, are any of you familiar with an Airedale dog? Okay, Airedale dogs have a certain character about them that are different from other dogs. They're a one-man dog. So if you're the master of that dog, and you try to give that dog to someone else, dog won't obey. One master. That's the way it lies. One, one woman, a man who has one woman that he loves, one wife. There's only one. The bishop should be a man who loves only one woman in his life and as his wife. The other is faithful children. And we really see here, you know, these believers, children that trust in their parents. And their parents have a whole lot to say to them. And you children in here, do you trust your parents in what they say? Do you follow them and obey them? If you do obey them, guess what? That means you trust them. It's as simple as that. You do trust, and you believe what they say. You know, it's when you see a child in the home, and they're faithful to their parents' instructions, they're faithful to the things they've learned in the home, and then they go outside the home, and they're exactly the same way, you know, parents, you know you've done your job. You've done a right job because your children are the same no matter where they are. They're exactly the same. You've put moral values in their heart, you've written those moral values in their hearts so that when they're faced with a situation in their life, the sonar in their brains going back and forth, to and fro, boom, I'm faced with a situation. Well, you know, my mom and dad, they share this with me from the scriptures, and this is the way they live themselves. I'm not going to do that. Boy, when you get your parents or get your children to do that, you know you've done a good job. In the home, out of the home. And of course, that's how we measure the character of the individual that would be chosen for elder bishop. Two, verse seven. Here we have in this verse. Now that we're going to observe the man himself and his relationship to himself. For a bishop must be blameless, and again, blameless again cannot bring a charge or an account against him. As a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy. Greedy for what? Money. Wow, quite a list here. Well, on the blameless side, we've already talked about that, unable to be accused or call into account. As a steward of God, steward refers to one, how one manages their household. How well do they manage that household? Is it organized? Is it well managed? Why would we ask that question? Well, one, because the person who becomes an elder bishop, they'll be managing the affairs of the church. So if they can't do it here, how in the world are they going to be doing it here in the church? If they're successful in managing their own affairs... They will be successful in managing the affairs of the church. Does that make sense? The other here is not self willed, and that means self seeking. You know, I seek my own desires, I seek my own fleshly desires. I don't care what you say, (laughs) Noad. Or, Matt, I don't care what you say. This is how we're going to do it. Now, if I ever did that to you, I know Don would be calling my number and, hey, Don, how's it going? (laughs) That's not a character you want to see in a leader, is it? Self is not the center of one's thinking or actions in a leader, elder, bishop. Self is not the center. And how one... Manages household is an indicator on how effective he's going to be in governing the affairs of the local church. Not self willed, not self seeking. Self is not the center. Not going to be proud or stubborn. Not going to be inflexible. The bishop should be ready to ask and take advice. It says, becoming all things to all men, that they may gain some. Not quick-tempered. These are... I think sometimes we lose our patience. I know in my last... 12 months at Safeway, I was losing my patience. People knew how to push my button. It didn't take much, right, hon? I'd come home and say, I can't believe this. Some people have a button, and if others find that button, they know what that button is and they try to push it. I see Jen laughing, so they must know your button to push. But, you know, as an elder bishop, a quality of an elder bishop, they might have those buttons that are pushed, but nothing happens. It's like the wires are disconnected. You can push all you want, nothing happens. That's one thing I appreciate about Don. Don's kind of like that. You know, I've seen, I've seen your buttons pushed, Don. But it's, it's amazing, you know, I, I've seen Don over the years and um, the button gets pushed but he says so calm. And every once in a while in the back of my mind I say, oh, I wish I could be like that. <laughs> That's what it takes. It takes a calmness. It takes a calmness. A bishop must be meek and gentle toward all men. One who does not have his passion of anger under control. Very important. Not given to wine. And what this means is not to drink wine so freely to become intoxicated. The bishop must show self-control and not become confrontational. What happens when you've seen people that drink too much? What happens? I've gone out a lot with people at work who drink a lot, and I see what happens, they start drinking, and before they know it, they get loose lips, and they say things they shouldn't say, and before you know it, I've seen arguments. And in some cases, I've seen it get pretty nasty. Well, you know. A leader in the church, if you saw a leader in a church like that, what would you think? You're not qualified. Leaders must show self control. It's part of self control here, a lot of this. Not violent. One who isn't aggressive, contentious, not a quarrelsome person where they're going to take you and sit down and just argue the life out of you. <laughs> but, Joanna! Yeah. Leader doesn't do that. We look for someone with the following qualities mildness, gentleness, fairness, and reasonableness. That's what we look for. Isn't that someone you you could follow? Yeah, I think so. And then there's, in verse 8, Observe the man in his relationship to others. Verse 8 says, Be hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, and self-control. You know, hospitality is is a key, is very key here. You know, a, a leader really loves to show hospitality. They open up their home. Not only for the saints, for meals and Bible studies, prayer meetings, or any other meetings of the church, but also that it reaches out to others who are in need, where you open your home up and bring them in, and to encourage them, to give them a meal, to share the word of God, to encourage them in a struggle that they might be struggling in, and it might be a relationship. Another one is a lover of what is good. You know, a lover of good men as evidenced by those who are Christ-like. Christ-like men will love good men. They will love those who do good, especially to those of the household of faith. There's a love for the brethren. There's a love for the believers, not only in the local church, but around the world. I think Many of you have traveled around the country or another country. What's it like when you get with other believers? Do you really enjoy being with the believers? A lover of those who do good. Just got back from Yosemite. You know, you heard some speakers from outside of California. You know, their lovers are good. They love people. They love the saints. The other characters are sober-minded. They're temperate. They're sound of mind. They're able to control and curbs one's desires and impulses. They're just, one who is upright. They're righteous, they're virtuous. keeping the commands of God and has a, falseless and guiltless character. you cannot bring a charge against them. And they're holy. Meaning they're undefiled by sin, free from wickedness, observing every moral obligation that's in the Word of God. They're Christ like. They love the Lord. They follow the Lord. And they're an example of the Lord. And you cannot bring a charge against them. Self controlled. Again, here's that whole idea of self-control. Mastering and curbing and restraining controlling yourself around others. Very important you do that because there's lots of differing opinions out there. What are you going to do when somebody disagrees against you? How are you going to handle it? What will that person be? What will that leader be like when he's confronted with that situation? And last... Verse 9, it's a man you want to observe as an elder bishop in his relationship to God's word. And it says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Very key. This person's going to be convinced of the word of truth or word of God. It's the truth, the Word of God, holding close to it because it's trustworthy and it's reliable. Trustworthy and reliable. And one thing about God's Word, and I know the brothers in this room here that I know, they know God's Word transcends time, it transcends culture, and it's never changing. It's the, the day that it was pen on paper or to a scroll is as good then as it is today. It applies to us today, just as it did the first day it was written. Leaders should have a good knowledge of God's word. And in order to have a good knowledge of God's word you have to study it. You teach it You learn all the great doctrinal truths of God's word. You learn about the great doctrinal truths of the New Testament church so that you'll be able to give a good defense of the gospel and give a good word in due season when somebody confronts you or when you see somebody. Do you have enough knowledge to confront an individual, to bring the truth to them so it's clear to them and they understand it And then the other thing here is that the individual confronts those who deny or oppose the word. You know, it's hard to be confrontational. It's hard to bring the truth to somebody who is so adamant against the truth. But a leader will do this. And they'll do it in a manner where they'll contradict the false teaching to convince them what the truth is. Now, there are some that are not convinced, right, Don? They're not convinced. They're not convinced. What you do is you say, thanks for visiting us. We wish you well. Out the door you go. And the Lord was like that, too. He'd go, preach the truth, teach. He went from city to city. Those that didn't listen, what did he do? He shook, shook the dust off his feet because they would not listen and he went to the next town. That's what a leader does, too. Well, in conclusion, now after going through that, uh, do you still desire to be an elder or bishop? Qualifications are tough. But if you're walking with the Lord and you're imitating Christ, not so tough. You already have the character so we've looked at all these character traits they do apply to the leaders however they can apply to your life just as well are there some things here that you'd like to work on and if the Lord has given you a desire to be an elder bishop it says what he desires what's it say a good work he desires a good work it's a good thing So if anyone in this, uh, any of the men here in this room has that desire, come and talk to Don and I. i would be glad to discuss it with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you for this book, the challenge that Paul gave to Titus. And Lord, we don't take this challenge lightly for him because it's just as applicable today as it was the day you wrote this letter to Titus. Lord, we thank you for these wonderful truths of the character of what a leader should be. And Lord, I just pray for each one of us that we would be a leader, uh, that we might have these character traits active in our lives, that we might live Christ-like lives and be totally sold out to you in our lives. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.